0: Understand that um, there's only so much of the Christmas story you can cover. Now it's a glorious thing that we talk about, but we're going to continue in our little mini series here: Thanksgiving at Christmas time, or Thanksgiving at Christmas. And last week we looked at uh, the first part of uh, that that uh, section in First in Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four. And I just want to read the text for us, uh, beginning in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you or among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the world system that we live in um, celebrates this holiday, Christmas. They do it every year. They usually start right after, or well, even before uh, Halloween, <laughs> And uh, it's a big push for them, retail agencies. And on that holiday, um, a lot of people benefit from Christmas, if you stop and think about it. Um, A lot of us receive gifts that if it wasn't for Christmas, we wouldn't receive otherwise. And we receive those gifts because Jesus is having a birthday. Kind of odd, you stop and think about it. Um, we have time off that you would never receive if it wasn't the holiday because Jesus had a birthday. Maybe you get a Christmas bonus in your employment. Uh, maybe profit sharing, something at the end of the year comes around Christmas time. And it comes because Jesus had a birthday. But on Jesus' birthday, on the birthday of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that day when he ought to be recognized for his coming into this world in which we live, uh, Christ would not have come on many people's minds at all. They'll be thinking about somebody, something else. They'll be thinking about the gifts. They'll be thinking about the decorations. They'll be thinking about the the food or the meals they're going to eat. But Christ has little to do with so many people's holiday season. And yet they still go on with the parade of Christmas. They celebrate it. They decorate for it. See, and yet when the Bible talks about Christmas, it talks about one who not only was born in a manger... Think about this. But he owned and he created the ground on which the manger laid. The one who knew nothing, but yet in the manger, knew everything. This little baby, Jesus. One who was powerless, was totally dependent on his parents because he was an infant, Yet, he was all-powerful. He created everything we see around us. Plus, he has the power of life and death in those little small infant hands. See, Christmas is about Christ. And we need to be reminded of that. And on Christmas Eve, we'll be reading the Christmas story. And it talks about the birth of Jesus Christ as we all have heard, and we'll be sharing a time of communion together and and singing some carols. But when Christ came, he came to a world that was lost, that was steeped in its sin. And if it wasn't for him coming to earth, we would never understand, we would never partake of the grace of, that we are able to partake of because he came to earth. And so last week, we, we looked briefly at this idea of being thankful at Christmas time. And we, we talked about being thankful for the fruits of sainthood in verse three there. We talked about grace and peace. Grace is something that's unmerited, it's a favor, it's something that someone does for you, it's something that you can't pay back. It doesn't require repayment. Peace is the result of understanding the grace of God. You won't have true peace in your life until you come to understand the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and understand why he came. And so Paul starts off this letter here talking about, with a common greeting, grace and peace to you. But then he begins to talk about the benefits of of Christmas, really. The benefits of Christ coming to earth. The benefits of us being able to be saints in Christ Jesus. And last week we looked at, there's basically different dimensions of these benefits. There's benefits that happened in the past, and we looked at that last week. The moment that we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we partake of that gift of grace. And it's something that's done. It's it's, it's taken care of. We don't have to worry about earning more grace from God. And then the present, we're going to talk about today, where it worked out as we live our lives in him. Once we come to Christ, we begin to live our life in Christ. And there's certain benefits that result from that. There's certain, you might call them gifts that God has given us. We're going to look at three of those gifts today. And then there's also benefits that are in the future still. Benefits that await us upon his return. Benefits that we will only receive when we are with him in heaven. Unless you think that, well, I don't know if I'll ever get those. If you have partaken of the past benefit, grace, and you're seeing God wrought out in your life the gifts that he's giving to you now, please be guaranteed that you will receive the future benefits of your sainthood. And we talked about this grace. We said three points quickly just to, to remind you. First of all, we said grace cannot coexist with guilt. When you come to Christ for salvation, that's, that's the whole, whole point. He removes that guilt from us. It says there in verse 8, look at verse 8, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who will sustain you to the end. Then what's it say? Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I get it. Sometimes we mess up and we feel guilty. That's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit telling us you're messing up. (laughs) You need to confess that sin. But we're talking here a guilt that is Just overpowering a life. And we probably have all known people who have dealt with guilt from their past. See, grace is God's gift that completely and permanently overrules that guilt. It doesn't necessarily just make it go away. But when you understand the grace of God and you understand who you are in Christ, you understand that He can never hold any charge against you because of Christ's work, because Christ came as a little baby and was born and lived 30-some years a perfect life and went to the cross and took upon himself all the sins of all those who would ever put their faith and trust in Christ. And God treated him as such, even though he had never committed one sin. See, when you understand that, and you understand that he was buried and on the third day he rose again, victorious over sin and death, there's not a whole lot of guilt left. Because you understand that in Christ you are righteous. Not because of who you are, but because of what God has done on your behalf. And so we said grace cannot coexist with guilt. And I just want to tell you, if you're you're living a guilty life, if you're living life filled with misgivings and you you count yourself a saint, you need to go back and you need to reexamine what's going on. Because Grace cannot coexist with that kind of guilt, that, that, that guilt that just looms and just just paralyzes you. That's not for the believer. And see, and it's until you understand who you are in Christ that that guilt will fade away. Secondly, we said grace cannot coexist with human obligation. We, we, we hit this kind of hard, but we said, you know what? Grace is something that is a free gift. It's not a loan. We, we really have to understand this more fully as Christians, because I think sometimes when we get saved, we think somehow that we have to pay God back for what he's done for us. And that's not true, because you couldn't, even if you wanted to, pay God back. And that ties in with the third point we looked at. Grace cannot coexist with human merit. Grace cannot coexist with human merit. See, so many times when people come to Christ, they're just overwhelmed by God's grace. And we're thinking, they're thinking, wow, why did he do this? Why did he do this for me? You can't pat yourself on the back. You can't say, well, you know, it's because I do this or I, no, there's no reason why God saved you, why God saved me. Absolutely no reason other than he wanted to other than it was for his glory. And so grace cannot coexist with human merit or human uh, achievement because of his grace we do not need to merit salvation because of his grace. You can't earn it. And because you can't earn it, You don't have to be afraid of losing it. There's a lot of believers today in the church that that live under this idea that somehow they're constantly doubting their own salvation. And they're doubting it, sometimes unnecessarily. Now, if your life is filled with sin and you're not walking in the Spirit and you're not living a life that's honoring to Christ, well, then maybe you need to go back and and re-examine your salvation. Doesn't the Bible tell us to do that? It says to make sure that you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. We do that once a a month at communion time. But we should do it every day. And see, sometimes because we have partaken of God's grace, we stop and we think, wow, okay, now I have to do something for him. Well, you don't have to do anything. You should want to. You know, so many times in churches we have people doing things that feel obligated to do it. That's the only reason they're doing it. And they're doing it usually with a nasty attitude. I don't know I have to do this, but whatever. And they're doing it because somehow in their warped thinking, they're thinking that if they do this, somehow God's going to pat them on the head and say, well, good. You owe me a little less now. That never happens. That, that is an impossibility before God. And see, we need to serve the Lord out of the joy in which we are saved. We, we, we come and we serve and we, we minister to one another, not because we have to. I mean, if you're here because you feel you have to be here on Sunday, there's something wrong. If you're not on Saturday night preparing your heart thinking, wow, tomorrow I got church. I can, I'm going to be with the saints. We're going to sing songs that are gloriously praiseworthy of Christ." We're going to be able to fellowship together. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to minister to one another. Lord, prepare my heart for that time. See, I, I, I really believe there's so many in churches today that are up till 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Saturday night. And then they make it to church. <laughs> I hope the music's good. I hope the sermon's good. And they're not even in a place where they should be judging it, to be honest with you, because their mind's somewhere else. You would never do that for your work, I would hope. If, if, if you started a new job on Monday morning, I don't think you would stay up till 2, 3, 4 a.m. in the morning and then try to go in and, and report to your new job and, and, and be used. I mean, you would be tired. See, we need to understand why we gather on a, on a Sunday. It's, it's because of God's grace. It's to celebrate the grace of God. And that's not something that can coexist with guilt. It's not something that can coexist with human obligation, and it can't necessarily coexist with human merit because that flies in the face of grace. Well, you might ask, well, why, does God, why did God do this? Why did God provide this grace through his son the way he did? Why, why Christmas? Well, three reasons. Three reasons for God's grace are on your outline there. First of all, he provides salvation in order that those who are saved may produce good works. His grace is so that we, in that grace, can provide works that are praiseworthy of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says it this way, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Think of it this way. You are God's project. <laughs> He's working on you. So I mentioned before, I think several times, I worked in a warehouse one time, and I remember there was a guy there. We hired a new guy, and, and this other guy had been there for a long time and knew basically everything about it. And this new kid was just messing up. He, didn't, he couldn't drive the forklift. He didn't know where the stuff was. He was messing orders up. And this guy, I remember him telling me on a break one time, he goes, I'm going to make that kid my project. And he did. And we saw a marked improvement in his work ethic and everything. Why? Because that guy took time to spend with this young, arrogant kid to show him, first of all, he didn't know everything and that he really had to relearn everything that he thought he knew. And because that man spent time with that kid, he was able to blend right in with all the rest of the workers. And pretty soon, I mean, he was earning achievement awards and all kinds of things. And you say, well, what kind of achievement awards do they have in a warehouse? You'd be surprised. Okay, you got to motivate these people. It's not a, it's not a whole lot of uh, thinking goes upstairs in these jobs a lot of times. So you got to motivate these folks. So they had all kinds of things. And this kid, this kid was winning prizes and winning all kinds of things. And and the reason was that somebody took time to do that. Well, we are God's project. God is working on us. We are his workmanship. It says, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Good works. And guess what? We don't even have to come up with these works. Isn't this glorious? He says, which God prepared beforehand. <laughs> in other words, he's got it all lined up for you. It's not like you've got to become a Christian and then go, gee, I, I meet so many Christians who are like, well, I don't know what to do. I just don't know how to serve the Lord. I don't know. God's got works out there. Just get busy. Do something. God will lead you. God will show you. You know, if, if you're thinking, well, I don't know, you know, maybe, I don't know if I should be teaching. I don't know if I deal with children. Try it for a Sunday. Ask to go down and sit in a classroom. And if you go out of there, after an hour with a bunch of little children, trying to teach them the Bible? And your hair is standing up in the back of your neck, and you're like, oh, I don't know how they do that. That's not your calling. That's okay. <laughs> then we just kind of find something else for you to do. I mean, maybe it's greeting at the door. Maybe it's helping Danny with the ushers. You know, there's so many different things that need to be done in ministry across the board. Maybe it's meeting here on Sunday morning before the service and praying that God would move, that God would work. Maybe it's being hospitable to people. Who knows? But God has works for you to do. There's no excuse for you to do nothing at all. He says that we should walk in them, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. In other words, this should be a common part of our life. This is like walking to the grocery store or walking to the mailbox. It's something you do. It's just part of life. In Titus 2.14, he says... That Christ gave Himself for us, listen to this, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself a people for His own possession. Then it says this zealous for good works. I mean, we have a lot of people that are zealous for a lot of things. This time of year, a lot of us are watching sports, watching football. A couple of good games yesterday. Just you know, we like that's okay, but you know we're kind of zealous for it. You know, if we're not going to be at home Sunday morning watching football, which is a good thing, we may we make sure that that recorder's set to record those games that we might miss because we're going to watch them. Why? Because we're zealous about it. Some people are zealous about all kinds of things. Some people are zealous about their cars and keeping them clean and just brand new. They're zealous about their homes. They're zealous about their children. But God says, you know what, as believers, we should be zealous for good deeds. In other words, we should wake up in the morning and say, okay, God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me to do today? Because I wanna serve you. I wanna walk in the good deeds that you have already prepared beforehand. In Titus eight, he says, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. It's something we think about. It's not something that's just haphazard. And then he says, these things are good and profitable for men. And I'll throw in women. They're profitable for believers to be involved in because God saved us to do good works because Why? Good works benefit us. They benefit the body of Christ. God wants his children to touch the world with goodness. When's the last time you went out of this building and performed Christ's goodness to someone? Secondly, this saving grace is meant to bring blessings to believers, not just the world by our good works and when we help other people and maybe we serve people in some way, our neighbors, our friends. But secondly, it's to bring blessings to believers. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 7, if you turn over there, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ in order that the, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, God saves us, graciously saves us, so that we can pour out his blessings on others. And it's, it's wonderful to be part of a church that understands this. And, and there's people that are constantly blessing other people in our congregation. Sometimes Ken and I don't even know about it, which is good. And we find out, well, if somebody has a need. Oh, well, somebody already met the need. Somebody else is ministering to them. See, that's how the body of Christ should work. And then, thirdly, God saves us through grace in order to glorify Himself. And this is really the chief end of our salvation, if you stop and think about it. Why did Christ come? For His glory. Why did Christ unveil His grace to us? For His glory. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 10 and 21 it says, Grace is given to us in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. In other words, the church exists to make known the wisdom of God, the grace of God, the love of God. And that to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. See Jesus taught very plainly that the primary purpose for us letting our light shine before men which is made possible by our salvation you might say is to glorify our father who is in heaven. That's what he says in Matthew 5:19. His own primary purpose for Christ going to the cross, being born and being raised and being going, going to the cross and giving up his life, which made our, our salvation possible, was to glorify his father and to be glorified himself. He tells us that in John 12. See, God's glory is clearly on display when people see the, the glorious, gracious work of God's salvation in our lives. The Lord's gracious salvation is given in order for the saved to bring blessing to other men through good works, but also to bring blessing to believers themselves, you might say. And above all, to bring glory to himself. Now, if you look at our text, it says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you by Jesus Christ? It doesn't say that. What does it say? It says in. In Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus. Called to be saints. See, the grace of God came through Christ. That's why Christ came. To unveil the grace of God to us. And then it says in verse 5 that in every way... You were enriched in him. What would you say the opposite of being enriched is? You think of that. Destitute, right? If you're not enriched, you're you're, you're kind of below the line, you might say. But that's not who we are in Christ. Paul wants the Corinthians, especially the Corinthians, to understand who they were in Christ. And see, when we we come to this time of year, Christmas time, it's important to understand who we are in Christ, why Christ came. One reason he came was that in every way he wanted to enrich us in Christ. When you you stop and think of that, that means that there's um, there's no lack in Christ. There's nothing that that God has to add to our salvation after we're saved. You know, there's some people that teach that, well, you come to Christ and you repent of your sins, and yeah, he's your Savior, but then you have to go back to Christ and you have to beg him for the Holy Spirit, because there's this thing they call the second blessing or the, 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 the you know, the, the, the baptism of the Spirit, and, and it's not until you get the baptism of the Spirit, this is what they teach, that that's when you can really have the power of God. You don't have it otherwise. That's not taught anywhere in Scripture. As a matter of fact, it teaches just the opposite. It teaches that we are enriched in everything. Not in some things. Look at what it says. Enriched in everything. There's not one thing that God has left out of our salvation for us. Because we are in him. We are in Christ. That in him qualifies everything else. We have everything that Christ has to give to us when we are saved. He gives us everything we need. Now, that doesn't mean that we, we don't lack, you know, maybe at the end of the month you're trying to make your check balance. That's not what it's talking about here. It's not talking about our sustenance. It's not talking about our practical everyday food and things like that, but the Bible does say that we won't go hungry, so that's a good thing. But, it does say that he has given us everything that he has to give that we need in order to live this life for Christ in a way that honors him. Another book puts it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, God's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1, 3. In other words, everything the believer needs to live the life that God has called us to give, live, he's already given it to us. We don't have to go back and beg and plead for more power. We don't have to go back and beg and plead for more love. We don't have to beg and plead for God's grace. He's given us everything we need in Christ. Colossians 2.10 says that we have been made complete in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Not that we're being made complete, but we are complete. Think of it this way. When a baby is born, as a human being, it has everything it's going to get. A baby doesn't all of a sudden, you know, around the third year, start growing another arm. Okay, it doesn't grow another leg. It, what, what you get at birth is that's what you got, See, when we are saved, when we are born again, we have everything in Christ that we're ever going to need. That's so important for us to understand. As a matter of fact, even over in, in 1 Corinthians, just turn over a page in your Bibles, look at verse 21 of chapter 3. 21 of chapter 3 says, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Speaking of in Christ. See, he wanted the Corinthian church to understand who they were in Christ. Well, what are all these things speaking of? Among the most important of all these things we have in Christ are three things. All speech, he says, all knowledge, and all gifts. We already have those in Christ. In other words, we have all the speech, all the knowledge, all the giftedness necessary to accomplish what God wants us to do. It's already a done deal. It's kind of like when you, you, you buy a, a, a model or something. you got everything you need to make that model. It's all right there in the box. If you don't, there's something wrong. We'll, able to, we'll be able to say everything that God wants us to say because we're in Christ. We'll be able to know everything that God wants us to know concerning his will because we're in Christ. We'll be able to serve him however God wants and chooses for us to serve him for the works that he's prepared beforehand by the gifts that he's already given us. See, when we get to the, the giftedness part, This is where the Corinthians struggled as a church. It says they they kind of pined after certain gifts. You know, they, they didn't want the gift of hospitality. They wanted the gift of tongues. Why? Because that was spectacular. Or they wanted the gift of prophecy. Why? Because they could be seen prophesying in front of the congregation. See, the motivation was all wrong. That's why the Bible tells us very clearly that God gives us the gifts that he desires to have. It's not like a talent. A gift is not a talent. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, somebody play the piano or, or an instrument or they'll sing, and they'll say, oh, God, what a wonderful gift God has given to you. Well, yeah, but it's also a talent. It's a talent. You know, you can take somebody that can't play the piano at all, and if you spend enough time with them, they can play something eventually. Why? Because it's a talent. It's something that you can learn. Giftedness, spiritual giftedness, is not that way. It's something that God divinely gives to us. And so if you think about Christmas, think about Christmas morning, and you're sitting under the, you know, the Christmas tree there, and you've got all these gifts. See, that's what God provides for us spiritually in Christ. He says, here's everything you're going to need for this life that I've called you to. You don't have to go to the store and buy anything. You don't have to add anything to the things I've given you. I've given you everything, and you're completely sufficient in Christ to do exactly what I've called you to do. So let's look at the first thing here quickly, all speech. What's he have in mind here? All speech? Does that mean you can just stand up and become a wonderful orator? And No. It's Qualified. Particular speech he has in mind here is obviously telling God's truth. God gives every believer the capacity to speak for him. Do you know that? Every believer has the capacity to speak for God. Now, you may not do it eloquently, but that's irrelevant because you're not speaking your own words. Whose words are you speaking? You're speaking God's words as you share the word of God with people as you share the message of God with people. You don't need an impressive vocabulary. You don't need to have some captivating personality. But you have to be obedient to what God's called you to do. And every believer has been gifted with all speech. Now, we don't like to think that because sometimes we get our giftedness confused with our personality. I did that for years. I'm kind of a shy person. Don't like big crowds of people. And I remember looking up into heaven and going, okay, you're calling me to do what? Seriously? How, how can I do this? See, God has given each of us that ability, the same capability, the same capacity to speak for him in a unique way through our own personality, the way he wants us to speak. I think one of the most common failures of Christians is a proper understanding that God wants them to speak for him. When you go to work, when you go to play, when you're at your business, when you speak he wants you to speak for him. A lot of times people say, well, I don't know. I, you know. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I mean, maybe I should reach out to my friends, but I don't know what to do. See, Paul just shattered all the excuses that you could ever come up with. What did he say earlier? He says that in every way you were Enriched not our being enriched, it's a done deal. God has already equipped you to do exactly what he's called you to do. We're enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, he says. He doesn't say, well, except for witnessing. See, that's not, a, that's not an option for those who claim to know Christ. But we, we think of it as an option. We think of it as those, well, that's reserved for the more, you know, outgoing personalities that can go out. No, God wants you to share Christ with your friends, with your family, in a way that is comfortable for you at times. You know, I remember going with um, Andrew Rappaport and the group down to Palo Alto. And these guys get up on this, it was like a podium kind of a thing. They stand up, there by... Uh, the pizza of my heart in Palo Alto, downtown Palo Alto, and nobody's, you know, really paying any attention. What are these guys doing? And they get up there on this box, they get out their Bible, and they say, they start a gospel message. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I could never do that. <laughs> Here, just give me some tracks. I'll hand the tracks out. <laughs> you know, there's no way I'm going to do that. And I remember watching him as he's as he's sharing the gospel this one guy, and and Andrew's sitting in the back, and I'm watching, and pretty soon a heckler starts heckling him. You know, shut up. And you know, the the guy that was up there preaching, he's giving it back to him. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's he gonna do? There's gonna be a riot here. You know? These are just very bold men in their personality, and God is using them. And And I said, wow, what's going to happen with this? He goes, no, this is a good thing. Watch what happens. And maybe they had two or three people there. And this heckler started mouthing off, and the preacher's kind of giving it back to him in a nice way. Pretty soon, people are thinking, oh, they're going to fight. What happens? More people gather. Pretty soon, there's 20, 30 people there. And the guy that's heckling doesn't know how to use his voice to preach. So he's just screaming at the top of his lungs because there's more people, so he wants everybody to hear him. Well, within five minutes, he's completely hoarse. Hey, blah, 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 blah. He's like, what? I can't hear you. Can you speak a little louder? And everybody's kind of laughing, and they're kind of using him in a way. But that is when the preacher says, now i got something to tell you. And he starts sharing the gospel. And he's got 30 people there that are listening to him. And even the heckler's listening because he can't talk anymore. <laughs> See, and God uses them in that way. But he also used a couple of other of us who were just giving tracks out. And we had one-on-one conversation with people. And God gave us the ability to speak his truth in the way that he wanted us to speak it. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses. It's not an optional thing. Trust me, we live in an area of, of California, the Bay Area. I mean, it's like the Sodom and Gomorrah of the country. I mean, if there's, you know, and sometimes, you know, my wife and I look at each other and go, why did God call us here? Because, you know, it's so expensive. People come, people go. It's like, man, you just can't seem to make any headway here. But you know what? God's planting seeds. You know, God needs a church that's willing to stand up and tell the truth and and, and be the light in the darkness. And that's what we're called to do. We don't have any excuses for not giving testimony to Christ. We can speak, we can testify, just as those in the early church did. Why? Because he's given us, he's given us the gift of his son, the grace to do it. He's given us the ability to answer the questions. How many times have you been in a conversation with somebody and you it turns out you end up sharing the Lord with them. You're sharing scripture verses, and you walk away from that night or that day, whenever it was, and you're going, wow, where did that stuff come from? Who was talking? Was that me? What did I even say? See, that's the Holy Spirit working through you. But it's because you were due and diligent in studying the word of God, and you hid those things in your heart, and then at the appropriate time, God was able to recall the truth that you committed to your own soul. And he used it for his glory. I heard John MacArthur say, I think a lot of Christians, when they're witnessing and someone comes to Christ, you're actually sharing the gospel and and you ask them the question, would you like to commit your life to Christ? And they say yes. And you're like, wow, okay. And they actually do. They come to Christ. He said most Christians walk away from that, scratching their head, Going, wow, I can't believe I just led someone to Christ. What what a miracle. They're more amazed that God would use them than the actual new birth of the person that God saved. See, that's backwards. We should be just blessed that God has chosen to use us in any way. And God, when you have that understanding that God has placed you in Christ, He's given you everything, He's equipped you for everything, He's given you all speech. What a blessing that is when you're sitting in a coffee shop and somebody across the table starts talking about their life. And, well, what do you believe about that? Or what do you believe about this? And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. But you know what? God gives me the words. And sometimes he even says, you know what, don't say anything. Just let him talk. See, that, that's called being sensitive. It's, it's being sensitive to the Lord. You know, I remember when Dan Thomas, uh, Dr. Dan Thomas was coming here. He had a ministry. He'd go out to the malls. And he'd go out after church on a Sunday. And I'm like, well, what do you do? He goes, well, we just go to the mall and we pray that God would lead someone across our path that was hungry for the word. I'm like, what? I said, well, do you like set up? He goes, no, we don't set up in. We just walk around the mall. And we just wait for God to prompt us. And sometimes it's just, you know, we're sitting on a bench and some guy sits down next to us. It's not our doing. And we start talking to him. How's your day going? It's tough. And they start to share their heart. You know, I just went through a divorce or just a teenage kid. And it it opens up a door for them to share the gospel. See, we need to be more uh, just dedicated to that. See, evangelism doesn't have to be a program. It's supposed to be a way of life for us. And and Christ gave us everything when he came. He gave us everything. He equipped us for all this. And so don't worry about what you need to say. Because God will, will give you the ability to speak things that are just beyond your even wildest imagination sometimes. He'll recall things. I mean, he has given us the Holy Spirit to help us through this. Well, the second thing that he says here is we have all speech, but secondly, because of Christ's coming and the grace that we've experienced, we have all knowledge. We have all knowledge. Um, God doesn't expect us to speak if we're not in this word. Okay, all speech doesn't mean that God somehow just downloads the Bible into your brain and now you're just able to go out and recite it. I wish it was that easy. Trust me, I really do. But it's not. So what does he call you to do? He calls you to work. He calls you to study. He calls you to be under the teaching of the word of God. Why? Because that's equipping you for the work of service that he's called you to do. It's not that we know everything even about theology or about the gospel or anything like that. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Paul says we only know in what? In part. We don't know everything. But we're given everything we need to speak effectively on the Lord's behalf. God, God has given us his word. Do you know there are countries in the world where people don't have this book? They don't have the privilege of opening up a Bible and reading the words for themselves, either it's not translated into their language or they literally don't have it. How much would you miss your Bible if I just said, okay, turn in all the Bibles. We're going to confiscate all your Bibles for a week. How much would you miss it? I, I, would, I would dare to bet that a vast majority of us wouldn't miss it at all. The reason I say that is because many of you have left your Bibles behind. <laughs> and usually I'll let go on a Wednesday, Thursday, and then I'll look in the Bible. Oh, it's so-and-so. Nobody's called yet. And then I'll give them a loving little reminder. you missing anything? What do you mean? Huh? Well, I just thought maybe it was something precious to you, you know. And eventually I'll say, Well, you left your Bible. oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> See, you can tell. You can tell by that. We're we're to be in God's word. See, that's where we get the ability for God to recall these things and and to to use this knowledge that he's gifted to us. Everything you need to know about anything is right here. Somebody said the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. You probably heard that, right? That's what it is. That's what it is for the believer. And and we should be studying it and, 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 and meditating upon it I was talking to a Christian one day. They said they were a Christian, and, and I was reading, it was when we were in Romans, and I was reading a passage in Romans down at the coffee shop. I was preparing for the message, and I was just casually reading it. And he said, what are you reading? And I said, oh, I, I'm, uh, I'm reading the book of Romans out of the Bible. And he goes, oh, yeah, I've read that. And it's just the way he said it, you know, like, yeah, I've yeah, been there, done that. <laughs> it's like, that's off my list. You know, and you can tell certain people when they're doing it just to check a list or they're doing it really because they want to be equipped by God. See, this is just, on a Sunday morning, I mean, this is equipping, okay, but you need so much more than a 45-minute, 55-minute sermon. There's no way that you can make it through the week as a believer just by hopefully hanging on the words of some pastor from a Sunday morning service. That's why the Bible says we need to be diligently studying the Word of God. know, just because somebody up here says something, don't take that for granted. I mean, I've made mistakes. I've misquoted things and done things. You know, you need to be Bereans. You need to go and see it for yourself and study it for yourself. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says that we, his prayer for them was that, he would, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, wouldn't you love to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? How many believers do you know that say, well, I don't know what God's will for my life is? My, my answer is get in the book. Prayerfully, read your Bible. Ask God to show you what his will is. He'll do that. Paul says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, we have to internalize the knowledge of God in order to truly make it ours. He doesn't just download it when we're saved. We have to internalize it. And when we internalize it, then he's able to use all this knowledge for his glory. Well, the last thing here quickly, he says in verse 7, not only that you have all speech, all knowledge, but then in verse 7 he says "So you are not lacking in any spiritual gift, all gifts. So he kind of breaks these down and he says basically that speech and knowledge is God's provision for the believer in order to serve him. And then he says, you know, we're not lacking in any any gift at all that we need to live a full and faithful life for Christ. But then he says, you know what? These gifts that God gives us, these spiritual gifts... These aren't for yourself. God doesn't give you the gift of prophecy or the gift in the book of 1 Corinthians, the gift of languages, the tongues, people call it. He didn't give it to them for their own benefit. Gifts are given by God for the benefit of others, for the body of Christ. Sometimes we forget that. We get that mixed up. And what Paul is saying is, a Christian is never lacking in any gift that he needs to live this full and faithful life to serve the body of Christ. Now, when you look at the Corinthian church, we shared a little bit in the introduction how sinful, how corrupt, how wrong they were in so many things. But that's why Paul is dialing down on this. He's saying, Corinthians, you need to wake up. If you're truly in Christ, you're not lacking anything to live a a holy life for God, to be used by God to serve one another. Paul was speaking about God's provisions to the Corinthians. He's not speaking of their use of their provisions. That's where they fell short. And I think that's where so many people within the body of Christ fall short. It's not that we aren't gifted with all knowledge, with all speech, and we don't have a plethora of spiritual gifts that God has gifted us. But we're not tapping into it. We're refusing to use it. It's kind of like, you know, having a... a, I I remember an illustration, a good illustration. Guy went on a cruise. You probably heard this. Poor guy saved up for years to get on this cruise. He got on the cruise, and he brought some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and stuff, because all he could afford was the cruise ticket. And he gets on the cruise, and halfway through the cruise... You know, people are realizing, well, this guy's just hanging out in his room, and, you know, he just doesn't... So somebody kind of befriended him, and they were talking to him, and he goes, well, you know, I eat dinner in my room, because I, I, I can't really afford to go to the buffet. And the guy's like, you don't know what's included in your ticket? No, he didn't know. He went through half the cruise eating peanut, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in his room while everybody else enjoyed all this food, because he didn't understand that this is all included. See, when God saves us, this is all included. He gifts us the gifts that we need as individuals to be used within the body of Christ. And he's emphasizing two things here. First of all, the believers in Corinth, as believers everywhere, did not need to look for or try to look for additional spiritual blessings or gifts. There's some people, as I said, in the charismatic movement mainly today, that teach that somehow you have to beg God for more gifts. That's not what the Bible indicates. The Bible indicates that God has already given those gifts to you. And then secondly, he points out to the Corinthians that they should claim and begin to use the gifts that God has already given them. Remember one time we were somewhere with the kids and I bought them some candy or whatever and we we're going through the store and one of them said, well, Grandpa, can we get that? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. No, you already have this. You haven't even eaten it yet. Why don't we focus on that first? See, that's how we are sometimes as believers. You know, God has gifted us graciously with all this plethora of blessing, all speech, all knowledge, all gifts. And, and what do we do? We sit around doing nothing saying, "Oh God, I just wish I could have one more gift. And God saying, "Hey, open up the gift I gave you first." That's so so important for us to understand. And so why did why did Christ come? The basic reason was so that we could experience the grace of God through Christ. If 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 he did not come as a incarnate human being, there's no way that Christ could have gone to the cross. There's no way that Christ could have died on the cross for our sins. There's no way that we could have ever experienced the grace of God. At all. And so, when we celebrate Christmas this year, in a couple days, in the morning, maybe a good thing to do is to start off, first of all, thanking God for this incredible gift. This unmerited gift. This gift that he gives us that says, Hey, no strings attached. I just want to know you. I want you to know me. I want your sins forgiven for all eternity. That's what God desires us to take away from the Christmas message that we find in Scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for this coming day that we celebrate the birth of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that Your son, Jesus Christ, didn't begin on Christmas Day. (laughs) He is God, and therefore he's eternal. But that was the day in which he forsook all that's in heaven, and he came down to this lowly earth and took on human flesh so that he could glorify you, glorify himself in his life here on earth, and then give that life up as a ransom as a payment for sin. The thing we need to understand is the Bible clearly indicates that we all have sinned and we all fall short of God's glory. There's not a person in this room that could say, I'm perfect. I've never done anything wrong. I've never taken God's name in vain. I've never stolen anything. I've never thought a a thought that was not appropriate. We've all sinned in a myriad of ways. And because we've sinned, our relationship with our God and Creator has been severed. It's been broken. And God loves us so much that He reached out to us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And had Him go to the cross and bear His sinless life in which He became sin for us, the Bible says. And when we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, the Bible says that he forgives us from all of our sins, the past, present, future. And that little baby in the manger had the power to do that even in his infancy. Even though his human body grew and he grew in wisdom and stature, the Bible says God cannot grow. He was deity and yet he was still human. What a glorious thing that is. What a wonderful gift that in the fullness of time, God reached down to us in human form through Christ. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you would consider these words. I pray that you would feel the tug of God on your heart. He desires to have a relationship with you. But you need to acknowledge your sin before him. You need to turn from it and turn to the the only Savior there is, Jesus Christ. When you cry out from your heart to his and you say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, that's showing God that you're serious. That's showing God that you, you desire change. So I pray that God would affect that work in your heart even now. And as believers, as we leave this building, Lord, what a wonderful time of year to share the gospel message through Christmas and through the grace of Christ coming to earth with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends. I pray that we would be creative in the way we do it and effective. Lord, that you would use our words, use our speech, use our knowledge, use our gifts to reach out to this lost and dying world in a way that would honor you. We thank you. Pray for our time across the way. In the hall, Lord, I pray you'd bless the food to our bodies, bless our time of fellowship, and uh, even prepare our hearts for our Christmas Eve service together. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen. amen.